Tom Maluli is an investment advisor representative with Maluli Asset Management. All opinions expressed by Tom and his podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Maluli Asset Management. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions. Clients of Maluli Asset Management may maintain positions in securities discussed in this podcast. Welcome back to the podcast. This is episode number 336. I am Tom Maluli, and joining me today is Tim Maluli and Brendan. So there's an article uh, in the Wall Street Journal, and there's a couple articles over the last few weeks about it, um, talking about Robin Hood. And there was a complaint filed in Massachusetts against Robin Hood. So Pretty I understand m- that th- this is not just any complaint. This is the securities regulators for the state or the Commonwealth of Massachusetts have filed this complaint against Robin Hood. Yeah, it said that uh, so Robin Hood was aggressively marketing towards inexperienced investors and failed to implement controls to protect them. Um, There's a lot of cases of just crazy amounts of trades happening in people's accounts and over a short amount of time and they have little to no investing experience and you know we we know here how dangerous that can be for some people if they don't know what they're doing and they're you know trading in and out of stocks things that they don't understand uh, can be pretty dangerous for people out there i think what really opened my eyes were you know if you want to speculate 500 or a thousand bucks in some crazy stock um that's fine i think if it's you know, if it's suitable for the right size of your net worth, you know, for what you want to speculate with. But in reading through the article in the Wall Street Journal and reading through the complaint, it seems like Robinhood markets option trading in a similar vein with trading in stocks. And I, I just don't think that they're that folks really understand what's involved when you're buying and selling options, whether it's puts or calls. I think all this has only been exacerbated by how how crazy the market has been this year in terms of to the downside and upside, tons of volatility, uh, plenty of ground covered in between. And so Robinhood's been around for a few years now, but we're we're just starting to see, uh, I guess, people fully understand what what goes on 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 their platform uh, more so this year as as maybe more people decided to uh, dive into day trading for sport uh, yeah. board board at home during the pandemic I, I guess yeah yeah that definitely has factored into it like we talked about earlier in the year too people didn't have sports to bet on so they turned to the stock market to try and uh, quote unquote bet on some of these individual stocks. I think I think that's like the biggest problem in some of this is and is it Robin Hood's fault? Like they're basically playing into people's worst instincts and so they're trying to adopt a platform that looks like a visit to the casino uh or or some kind of like online betting app like a DraftKings or something like that. And so it seems like a lot of the prompts and the interface that they have it's it's designed to get people to interact with it. I guess maybe they're running into a problem because uh, securities law is is more strict than what uh, you know somebody would, yeah like a, a casino is allowed to do this sort of thing. But if it, but if it involves 
stocks or marketable securities, then there's a little more regulation on that than uh, than you might run into otherwise. It seems like Robinhood operates more as as like a just like a technology app that is more interested in getting as many interactions and and downloads and users as they can, just growing their user base and not necessarily making sure that they're taking care of the people that are actually putting money into the account. It's a, it's a free service. So yeah. when, when something is free, I think you've got to realize that you are the product. Right. If, they're, if they're giving it to you, it's like social media platforms too. Exactly. We, we are the product because they're selling advertisements yeah. that we allow them to, to profit from by participating on their platform. And so, yeah. So here's a you know platform, an app that's done you know little to no marketing, and they've got 13 million accounts now. I don't know what the average size is, but you know, we've gotten calls from folks who want to speculate a thousand bucks or two thousand bucks in something, and we've even told them if you want to do that, think about Robinhood. You can do it right on your phone. And it's because you know we here have a fiduciary responsibility to our clients, so if they want to buy these things uh, that we wouldn't own or don't own for our clients we don't want that here under our watch so you know you point them towards a robin hood where you know they can get exposure to those things um but now as obviously as we're finding robin hood doesn't have any sort of real fiduciary responsibility to their clients or the the users I would say. You I would, guess they, they they kind of do in Massachusetts, uh, but not on a national you, level. You had raised this right before we turned on the microphone. You want to talk about that a bit? Yeah, so there was, I mean, there was the Department of Labor's fiduciary rule last year, the year before, uh, trying to go in across, across the country. That didn't end up happening, but as soon as that got shot down, Massachusetts as a state adopted its own fiduciary rule for brokers and advisors earlier this year. So the complaint that was in the Wall Street Journal article was saying that it didn't adhere to the fiduciary rule that they now have in place in Massachusetts. So that's just for the state of Massachusetts. It, it's not you know, here in New Jersey or anywhere else in the country. So the regulation in Massachusetts, I'm just going to read this part, stipulates that a broker-dealer, and that's Robinhood, has a duty of loyalty to its customers in part by making recommendations that give priority to the customer's interest without regard to the interests of any other party. Regulators say the lists of popular trades to which users have access have the potential to influence the securities that traders buy without the company conducting any kind of suitability analysis. So Galvin's complaint goes on to explain that this is no different from a broker handle, handing a list of securities to a customer and then pretending to be surprised when the customer purchases securities from that list and then proclaiming he made no recommendation to the customer. I, I wonder how much of this is just Robin Hood testing the boundaries, though, because nobody has really done this style of uh, investing 
platform app before and so there really aren't clear-cut rules because i'm not sure like i i get the point of that statement but like i don't think it is exactly the same because Robinhood is just using an algorithm to say hey hey here's what other people are doing it's like twitter what's trending uh sort of thing so i don't think right i don't think it is implied that like it's not a specific recommendation yeah it's not it's not like hey other people are doing this because it's a good idea it's just that like other people are doing it like i don't know if that's necessarily a recommendation so maybe this sort of like legal action isn't i mean is it necessarily bad for robin hood they might be fine to do this and then other people are going to start doing it too so it can just define what the laws are going to be as more and more of these platforms start to exist i'm not i'm not sure it's going to be a death knell for robin hood right i think there yeah. was something in in the wall street journal article that said that they made a settlement of like yeah. One point something million last year That's in right. for for something similar like this, but you know they have thirteen million users and ads and things going on. You know, like how much money do they have coming in? Like a settlement for one million dollars might not be very much to them. So, like you're saying, they could just be testing the boundaries, end up settling out of court for a small amount of money, and now they know. Right now and, they know what they can do. And the worst case for them is that they're told they have to stop this and they have a fine and then they cut it out. But like the people are still on their app. Sure. Like the, right. the people are there already. So in terms of generating popularity, uh, I mean, they've they've done what they wanted to do, whether or not this is this is legally allowed on a go forward basis. Right. Yeah. The complaint continues on and it talks about the I think it's pronounced gamification, but it's gamification of the trading process by using alerts on people's phones. You know, it's a it's an app, so you're using it on a phone or an iPad, and you get these prompts apparently telling you, "Hey, check check your account. This thing is up. Take a look. Uh, you may want to think about this." And it's leading to people who are doing. We're not even going to call it over trading, but they're doing people with no investment experience are doing massive amounts of trading. The article in the Wall Street Journal, and there are screenshots floating around the web on Twitter of other examples from the complaint. But in Massachusetts, they talked about one customer with no investment experience uh, made more than 12,700 trades in over six months. I wonder, and I think we might have mentioned this before, but I just wonder what the 1099s are going to look like for some of these Robin Hood people and if they even like understand what that is right from from an investment standpoint they're I'm going sure to get a phone that, book like. dropped on their and it has to yeah. be mailed and it's, it's going to be all short term yeah. gains and losses depending on what they've done I just wonder how many people are actually accounting for that because yeah. it's going to be tax surprise I mean even if even if you did well that's an unpleasant surprise to have a bunch of short term capital gains on the books that's not that's not great yeah I I yeah, but this kind of leads, spills over into, you know, other topics. Uh, you know, this the whole idea of, I don't know if it's a disclosure issue or, you know, making sure that people understand the risks involved with buying and selling options, the risks involved with buying and selling leveraged and inverse ETFs. We've actually done a few podcasts on these things. It's been a while. Uh, because we tend not to get involved in them. Literally nobody needs to invest in these. Especially people that have no investing experience at all. And, you know, just going back to what you were saying about gamifying 
investing. I mean, it, they, like we were just saying, want to make it seem like it's a casino, that it's fun. But we say here, like, it, sh- it investing shouldn't be fun. You know, it should be boring. If somebody's convinced you that investing is fun, they're profiting off of you somehow, I promise. It's not It's not a game. Yeah. It's fun for them. Right. Yeah, because they're making money on you. So there was also this uh, item that they brought up about they started a money market fund. Uh, they started the fund with a waiting list. And the way you could move up on the waiting list was to tap the app uh, as many times as you could during the day. And once you hit a thousand taps, they said you're tapped out for the day. Come back and come back tomorrow. Come back tomorrow. Yeah. And start tapping so you can move up the wait list. Yeah. I don't understand that one at all. I mean, it's got to be some kind of an engagement thing. So not only yep. does it keep people just generally addicted to their app, uh, but also engagement stats have to be through the roof. So if they're showing that to people who they want to add money to Robinhood to become investors, backers of their product, they can show them engagement stats skyrocketing because they've got hundreds of thousands of people tapping on their phone a thousand times a day to get into some money market fund. They don't that's, know how the stats are getting there, I'm sure, but yeah. it looks good for them. I mean, that's that's what I was saying earlier, where it seems like they're they're more of just like an app. The the people running running the ship there are just care more about engagement, like the app growth, and you know user engagement, and getting investors mm-hmm. on the back end to throw money to support Robinhood as an app. Yeah. Uh, they don't necessarily, you know, they're not flaunting the huge success stories of people that make money on their app it doesn't matter to them as long as there's people there tapping yeah as long (laughs) as there's people there tapping a thousand times a day that's why they send you push notifications you know it sounds like a like snapchat or like instagram they just can't they want users on the platform they don't care what they're doing once they're on the platform it just seems kind of kooky to me that there's a lot of people making hundreds and thousands of trades on a weekly basis and they're tapping their phone tapping the app hundreds and maybe a thousand times a day there's a lot of people with a lot of free time on their hands well like brendan said earlier i mean that's this is why it got so popular during 2020 because there was nothing else to do for a long time for people and there for a lot of people there still isn't if you're out of work or you know maybe it seems like an enticing idea to try and make some extra money if you're not working uh, it's a it's a dangerous proposal we know to to you know kind of bet the rent in a sense on day trading yeah, socks yeah. but I don't know for in a year like this in 2020 people might not have felt like there was any other option for them I'm gonna be the get off my lawn guy but if I were not working and you know worried about money I wouldn't be trying to make it by trading stocks I, I just wouldn't so I'd be more focused on preserving my pile of cash. That's, I mean, I think that lottery mentality plays right into this, whether it's on Robinhood or any of the other online brokerage firms. I mean, you see advertisements for them too, touting how they can teach you to trade options and stuff. And I think that that's just as just as uh, shady uh, as, you know, trying to get people to do it on an app. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't think it's good. And I'm just the places where you're going to place the trade like you again like you are the product like whether the trades are free or not like they're they're letting you have an account and trade on their platform because they're profiting from that somehow and so 
I think you got to remember that like they're encouraging you to trade not because it's going to be better for you as an investor, but because it's better for them. I don't, I don't think that they owe you anything uh, really. So I think you've got to be the one to come around to the idea that I think less is more when it comes to investing, at, at least as it pertains to trading. I mean, what's the the Nick Murray line is, is uh, you know, investing, your investments are like a wet bar of soap. You know, the more the more you touch it, the less you have, and that that kind of wisdom has been out there for a long time. But it seems like every era has its own you know team of of traders, day, yeah. day traders who just don't want to believe it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This is this is the new age of that, I suppose. Yep. So they do. Uh, Robinhood, like all brokers, makes money on payment for order flow, and so. When Brendan refers to, you know, on a free platform, you are the product, that's exactly what's happening. So in order to do the trades, they are selling your trade away to another broker. And so the firm, Robinhood, collects fees, not from you, but from other brokers who are placing the trades on exchanges. Uh, they're paying for order flow. It's a vicious cycle. Um, what's going on with this now you know this app has been pretty successful for the right reasons or wrong reasons and just about every brokerage firm out there now offers an app on their phone uh, I personally would I, I try and discourage people from checking their accounts on their phones but it's it's inevitable people are going to look and they look more when markets are volatile in both directions up and down I just wish they wouldn't do that just think anything that's an app, if you have it on your phone, like you're you're gonna open it from time to time, and and so yeah, I mean you would you would check in less frequently if if the app just wasn't on because you have apps. We all have apps on our phones. You just like mindlessly open them sometimes because you're bored. Yeah, it's right. like okay, I'm I'm gonna open this, I'm gonna open Twitter again, or I'm gonna check Ring when I know that nothing's even happening. Like I I I do all this stuff on yep. my own phone. So if I had one too that had an investment account in it. Uh, especially if it were sending me push notifications, then yeah, I'd, I'd probably log in more. That's just human nature. That's all they're playing into by doing this sort of stuff, I think. I have a an app on my phone from a conference that I attended three years ago, and it's still on my phone. Yeah. And it's ridiculous. I actually opened it a couple of weeks ago. I was like, what is this for? <laughs> yeah, I think, I mean, Robinhood is just the, the first, what seems like the first trading app that's going to come along that's become really popular but there's always going to be more ones that that come along and i think it just goes back to the point between like trading and investing and what we always try and tell people like the the method of how you can do it has changed over the years it's gotten easier you know you can have it in the palm of your hand now as you're walking around outside but um, the underlying principle is still the same that you know, day trading your account is dangerous and it's not and it's different from investing. So however, the method of how you do it, I think for people listening, that's the ultimate point of articles like this is to kind of at least try and drill that point home. Did you have another uh, item that you wanted to talk about? Uh, yeah, there was real quick. There was an article last week uh, in CNBC and the headline pretty much says it all. We don't really need to go into the details of the article, but the headline is that 45% of Americans don't know how much tax is withheld from their pay. And Too much. 
Right. Of course. Yeah. <laughs> of course. Yeah. You know, with it being December, you you can look at this stuff any time of year, but the the end of the year is typically a good time for people to, to look back at how much came out in taxes. You're going to get tax forms for the end of the year for to file your taxes for 2020. The way the withholding yeah. form works, yeah. I think, leads to a lot of the confusion because it doesn't tell you like a dollar amount based on your income or even like a percentage figure. It asks you leading questions like your your status for filing your taxes, single or you know married, head of household, that sort of thing. Uh, it asks you how many dependents you have in your household, things like that. And then and and then companies use that to back into the withholding percentages that get applied to your paycheck. And I, I think it might be a little more straightforward if they they did that differently, especially considering now that like the the form for the withholdings doesn't even really match up with. Yeah. Uh, how things work on the updated 1040 that that most of us file for taxes each year. So yeah, um, I, I think that that's a big disconnect there because you don't have to apply a percentage. You you answer some questions and they it's an inexact science. I guess is what and, I'm getting at. And you do it one time. You know, it's not like you yeah. need to do it every year. You could uh, though. You yeah. you could and worth they, reviewing. Yeah, they they do say in the article that it is worth reviewing every year, especially if you're, the amount that you're bringing in changes. Um, you should at least review it. But, yeah, I mean, you, you fill out this form when you start at a company, and then you don't have to. You might not look at it again for another work, five years, Work is probably years. not going to prompt you to do anything exactly. about your withholding. And, and I think when most people find out there's a discrepancy is when they haven't changed it, something changed somewhat dramatically, like a life event, filing status, or a change in income. And then the, the following year, whenever it happens to be, I, when they go to do their taxes, there's a big surprise. and I got whacked. Yeah. yeah. So and, and so around this, this time of year, not a bad uh, time to review just because you would, if you're applying payroll changes now in terms of your withholdings, you're probably starting with a clean clean slate come January. And so right. it's yeah. a good thing to look at every year in December. Yeah. I, I am, you know, I want to remain professional, but I do chuckle a little bit when I hear people say, oh, that accountant is no good. I paid way too much in taxes when I brought my, uh, yeah. brought my tax stuff into that person. I need a new accountant. Because that right. person, uh, I, I wound up paying too much. Yeah. that The accountant had little or nothing to do with that. Yeah, it has everything to do with, with your withholdings. And yeah. so, I mean, if anything, if if you didn't get a return, uh, meaning meaning a refund uh, from your taxes and you're upset about that or you're, you know, you owed money, um, I mean, if somebody's preparing your taxes for you, I think, I think a good barometer of whether or not they're worth their money is if they can help you. Uh, to adjust your withholdings to change that rather than just giving you the scoop uh, after the fact. Yeah. But whether it's your preparer or your financial advisor, I mean, somebody somebody can help you to fine-tune that so there's fewer surprises moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, just a quick stat from the article. They said the IRS issued $125 million in refunds in 2019, and the average was about $2,500 per refund. I mean, That's obviously there's... Money. It is a lot of money, and obviously there's going to be outliers there that drag the, the average up. But we, we've talked on different podcasts and videos about 
how you can mentally think of a tax refund. Some people think of it as a nice bonus, you know, around tax time, but it's really just your money coming back to you. You could just adjust the withholding like we were just talking about and get more in your paycheck on a weekly or monthly basis, however you get paid. Back when people were actually traveling, you know, for fun before the pandemic, I do know of some families that intentionally overwithheld because they would get this money back in the spring and that would that would be their annual vacation or their trip. I would just say that if you're doing that, that's fine. Just make sure it's actually going to happen. Right. right. Uh, conversely, if, if you wanted to do, I mean, you could set something up to just like auto deposit into, into right. a savings yeah. account each month. So like if you were going to get the average of $2,500 back, you could just send 200 bucks to a savings account each month and then you've got your vacation money come 12 right, months right, later. Right there. <laughs> like yeah, clockwork sure. and you don't have to wait for the IRS to fork it over or be surprised when it isn't there because something there changed was a with change your tax that, situation. Right, yeah, and right. that was, we, we, we ran into that in 2018, the first right. year after the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act was, was implemented because uh, some of that actually went on without people realizing it and, and they they... They changed the withholdings so that people got a little more in their paychecks, um, but not enough for people to realize it, you right. know, on a weekly basis. Right, but then, but then they realized the refund it. that they would anticipate uh, the following April wasn't there, and people were bent out of shape about it. Yeah, uh, right. When they were really like no better or worse off, it was just the money was delivered to them in a different fashion rather yeah. than a lump sum. They got it monthly. Not yeah. communicated very well. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right, that's going to wrap up episode 336. Thanks again for tuning in and we will catch up with you on the next episode.